this fucking guy. I'm really just uh, being a whiny why baby. Being, why are you being just a little like, bitch? I don't want to do things today, and I had to do things, and I didn't mm. like it. Do your work tomorrow. Ew, it's a yes. holiday. I know. I fucking President's Day off, but not MLK Day. That I don't know. Seems what that like is. in this day and age, like we shouldn't celebrate President's Day. No. Especially Correct. this one. Like let's just not yeah. do that. It's just a no for me. Yeah, it's, it's a hard. hard oh, you have your little grippy mug. I have it's my so climbers cute. mug. It's so cute. Also, I would just be afraid I would drop it. Oh, I'm constant. Like, I can't put very hot things in it, just mildly hot things. I'm constantly afraid I'm going to drop it. That, like, like, that's a stressful, it's, it's stressful mug. It's not very large. So, like, listeners, it's, Carmen has a little a coffee mug with a uh, little rock climb grippy thing. If you are a rock climber, it is a small, small grip uh, known as a crimp. Sure. And that is the handle of the mug. So it's um, like a small panic <laughs> attack every time you go to drink. <laughs> I'm just very dedicated to my art and it's my the best anxiety. way to wake up with anxiety in your cup. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Anxiety mm-hmm. attached to your cup. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Good times. Um... I, what's new in my world? So I am on a training plan. Well, so Amber made it for me. And. Well, that's because Amber is like shredded. And Amber is, shout out to Amber. Yeah, shout out to shredded ass Amber. He's just keeping it tight. She is so fit. It's intimidating. And she has agreed to help me just get into better shape because I I went from no exercise to car accident to physical therapy, Mm -hmm. which is not really exercise. Exercise is like part of you. Just the part that's hurt to tumors to just being on bed rest and then just sedentary. So yeah, 2019 was a rough year for Caitlin's I body. I mean, it's guys. always a rough year for my body, but especially last year was really rough. So Amber has graciously decided to take me on as a client. <laughs> her unofficial training Well, she business. is starting her own training business, which, so I'm like, Oh, hell yeah. You yeah. heard it here first yes. guys. Um, so I'm like her Guinea pig. And it's, I've completed my first week. I have not missed a workout. So what kinds of things does Amber do? She has me doing a lot of resistance training and like low weights, but like lots of reps. And I have these like bands, like they're like booty bands because we're trying to build the booty a little bit. To keep it looking sweet in that wedding dress. Um, and then I'm like pretty much on a gain muscle plan. So I have to eat so much 
which everyone's like, that's not, that it's like amazing. And I'm like, no, no, no. But it's like, I have to eat like healthy stuff. Like, yeah. And, and when you eat a lot in a healthy way, it's so much goddamn food. It's so much food and it's not fun. It's not like, it's not like, let me shove this whole pizza in my face. It's like, oh, here's my third kale salad of the day. So, yeah. And it's like, I'm going to cook 25 uh, chicken, just flavorless yeah. chicken breasts. Yep. That's, <laughs> it's not yeah. fun. I did, though, today make a uh, ground turkey shepherd's pie with a cauliflower topping, mashed cauliflower. Oh. That was really good. That sounds lovely, even though right. I don't eat meat. That does sound you lovely. You could just make it with vegetables. Yeah, that's that's that sounds real fun. Just, uh, aside from the cooking insane amounts, yeah, it's just foods. been a lot of work, and I'm tired. Yeah, mm-hmm. I get that. Um, I get that. So that's what's new in my world. What's up with you? Um, uh, mainly watching a lot of British period drama. <laughs> um, I'm really committed to yeah. that right now. To that mm-hmm. lifestyle. Um, just really, um, getting into those, uh, PBS they masterpieces. They are so good. They're so well done. It's, it's infuriating how good and how beautifully produced these shows are. They're so gorgeous. Um, so that's really what I'm committing my lifestyle to 2020 Period to pieces. is just getting we into a really really getting into PBS masterpieces. Thank you. I feel really good about it. Like, I feel like I should be wearing a lot yes, of skirts. and like a wig, like a powdery wig. So many. So goddamn many. Um, so that's really about all that's going on on this side of the world. It's cold yeah. as balls in Colorado. It's supposed to be in like the teens here tomorrow. Mm-mm. No, thank you. Mm-mm. Sorry for people with uh, misophonia I'm drinking while I'm podcasting. I apologize. <laughs> I don't. Um, so sorry. Uh, let's see. Oh, yeah. If you haven't uh, joined us on Patreon, Patreon, Patreon uh, please do that. It's patreon.com slash this fucking guy, but without the you, because uh, we... The first you or the second you? Oh, the you? first you. Maybe this is why this we is, are not super successful. This is why. Yeah. No, it's. it's <laughs> I think we just take the you out of fucking because that's mm-hmm. how that's how you censor that word apparently, so mm-hmm. that people don't get upset. Even though it, we can gather what it is, we know, and, and mostly know. everyone who can read knows that. That's yeah, but the internet right. doesn't. Know. So, because a lot of networks or whatever don't allow you to curse which probably in hindsight was a bad name for our podcast but i don't fucking care yeah too late. i mean we're we're this is episode 15 it's happening we have content it's yep. too late um <laughs> we are not gonna change a goddamn yeah, so thing please uh do that and we will be we're gonna be doing as this episode airs a giveaway <gasps> That was awful. 
I enjoy that. I we don't it. yet know what the giveaway is going to be, but just episode 15 giveaway. You're going to get You're going to get stuff. You're going to get something. Right. TBD. Will it be a, just a collection of our dog's hairs? Maybe. I have so much of that. I could fill a box with that yeah. right now. We'll make a little voodoo doll out of our dog mm-hmm. hairs. Mm-hmm. Um. Mm-hmm. It will bring you so many Will looks. it be a box filled with random shit like Joanna Southcott's box? Oh my god, so many prophecies. Perhaps. We can write all of our prophecies. Perhaps. I have so many There's no to way say. to know. So, uh, There's literally no way to know. I mean, we, because we, we don't we even know. know. <laughs> we don't know. So... But you're going to get something. It's going to be cool. And it's going to be from yeah. us. You're welcome. Uh, so follow us on the social means and you'll find out about it when we figure out what we're doing. You're goddamn right you will. You'll know all about it when when yeah, we do. When the time comes. In a natural when we're in ready. a natural disaster with twenty-four bishops yes. present. Yes. There will be a lot of specificity to the giveaway. You're going to have to tag 20 bishops in your post. And by bishops, friends. Yeah, people named bishop. Ooh, interesting. Keep it real. Someone named bishop? I have a cousin named bishop, actually. I know. Are you serious? Yes. I did not know that, and that's amazing. I know. I mean, it's like a second or third. I don't know how how family trees work. I don't fucking know. Uh, but I do have a cousin named Bishop. That's hilarious. I know. I always thought it was kind of a cool name. I was like, I can get on board with that. Dig it. Interesting. Oh, mm-hmm. uh, this is this fucking guy. Oh, yeah. This is our podcast. We're doing We're it. We're doing it now. We're doing it 10 minutes, Ten minutes in. in. Uh, it's cool. That's Carvin. Hey, that's hey. Carvin. Uh, we've gotten some feedback that people don't know the difference of our voices. I thought we sounded I, I do too. Apparently My not. voice is much lower. Uh, I tend to get very high-pitched. Yes, outside. Carmen does a lot of squealing. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, yes. I, I tend to get very upset about things when Caitlin tries to traumatize yes. me. Um, but yeah. This is Carmen. This is my voice. This is Caitlin's voice right here. This one. Cool. So now, now you know. know. Uh, now, now you know. We're going to be adding a little a little something to our intro music. So stay mm-hmm. tuned for that as we continue to grow. We hit over 500 plays, downloads, oh. or I don't know how all that the algorithms work. It genuinely makes me want to cry. I know. I, <laughs> I might get emotional on this podcast. When I got that email, I was <sighs> so excited. I also want to start calling our fans and listeners, fan slash listeners, because you don't have to be a fan to be a listener. You just listen. Right. It's fine. Uh, I really want to start calling them fuckers. <gasps> yes. So thank you to all of our fuckers. Thanks, fuckers. Ooh. Put in the time to listen to this insanity? Um, you fuckers are the thank best. You, fuckers. you, you are. You fuckers, you 
You fuckers have suffered through some really terrible audio quality. Oh, the worst. Lots of dog interruptions. Some horrible. But people love the dog interruptions. Well, I'm I'm glad because it happens a lot. It happens quite frequently. Um, Wow, that's good. I like if you object to being a fucker, you can get the fuck off this podcast. That's right. You can unsubscribe. Yep. We're fine with yep, that. We have other fuckers to hang out with, so. Yeah. And calling our audience fuckers is very on It is. It is. Um, I would expect nothing less. Mm-mm. Yeah. No, this, uh, this feels it right. It feels correct. Uh, mm-hmm. Speaking of fuckers, do I have eee! a fucker to tell you about today? Do you really? Am I going to be bummed? No. You're gonna love this one because I know oh, I, can't I know you love this person. And I was <gasps> I was sitting here, I was like, shit, I really hope Carmen also didn't pick this person. Cause we've talked about it before. Hmm. Is it the love of my life, Benjamin Schwartz? No, but that would be really <laughs> funny. Uh <gasps> today I'm gonna tell you all about the fuckery of Lord Byron. Oh my God, Lord Byron is maximum this fucking guy. How are we just now doing Lord Byron? He is wild. Yes. Oh, I'm so ready. I'm so excited. Lord Byron was a crazy ass motherfucker. Oh, he was crazy. And he, oh man. Okay, so the reason I picked this, so as uh, Carmen and I have been watching Victoria on PBS and oh, it's, so good. it's so good. It's so good. And the reason I, he came to mind for me was his daughter makes an appearance in the show, Lady oh. Lovelace, which we'll talk about. She's the mathematician. <gasps> Hold the fuck up. Yes. Ada Lovelace is Lord Byron. Daughter? Yes, and they talk about her in the show where they're like, that's Lord Byron's daughter, and everyone's like, ugh, because he was such a scoundrel. And so I was like, oh my God, I have to like I have to do this because so Lord Byron is like it's a doozy of an of an episode, but it's mm-hmm. and I tried to condense it as much as I could, but this guy's life was a batshit. And he mm-hmm. was such a character. Um, so if you don't know who Lord Byron is, you're going to learn all about him, but he's considered one of the most famous poets of all time. You've probably learned about him in an English lit class or any kind of poetry class, really anything that touched like British literature. You've heard something. Um, you've got to at least know the name. You at least know the name for sure. And he is actually considered to be the first ever celebrity. What? Yeah. Yeah, I can't wait to get into this. Yes. Okay, so George Gordon Byron was born on January 22nd, 1788 in London, or maybe in Dover, depending on who you talk to. It's unclear. He's already starting out with Iskandar. Out of out of the womb, no one knows where he's from. (laughs) (laughs) Love it. Love it. So he was born to Captain John Mad Jack Byron. God damn it. It's so good already. I know. I know. Not to be confused with the Mad Jack, also Mango King of the Pickles I covered in episode one, uh, different Mad Jack. 
apparently it was a very common nickname. Uh, and then uh, Mad Jack's second wife, Catherine Gordon. So apparently before this union, uh, Byron's dad was married to the Marchioness of Carmarthen after he had convinced her to leave her husband for him. But then when they got married, uh, he became brutal and vicious and she gave birth to two daughters and then died shortly after. So, um, so Lord Byron has two half sisters. Um, and then George or Lord Byron's great uncle, the quote, wicked Lord Byron. Oh my God. This is so good. We haven't even gotten into his life yet. This is just the family tree. Yes. So he died in May 1798. And so this meant that George inherited the barony of Byron of Rochdale at the age of 10. So at the age of 10, this kid was like, you know what? I'm just going to go by Lord Byron. I'm dropping the George Gordon. Goodbye. Great at branding. She's already great at branding. Like, like that scene in the social network, like drop the the. He's like, drop the George Gordon. I know this is going to be a huge fucking hit. It's just Lord Byron, guys, period. That's it. And he's 10. He's a fucking 10 year old. He's already murdering it. Yeah, he's doing great. So his childhood was, like, not the best. Um, He moved around a lot. His dad was such a dick. Uh, And then his mom had, quote, mood swings and bouts of melancholy. Oh, she needed to get her blood right. Right. There is bloodletting later in this tale. Uh, Oh, Lord. She also drank a lot. And this... um, disgusted the young Lord Byron and he would often mock her to her face while she was drunk, which is super fucked up. Like she for a child. Yes. Yes. And like he was not treated well by his dad and his dad was not a good example because he definitely like mistreated his wives. So like, it was just like a, just a cycle of chaos here. Um, but his mom was also like really mean to him. So (laughs) Lord Byron was born with, uh, club foot and I did not know this yes and it like it really impacted him a lot like physically and he was very insecure about it and his mom uh would like tease him about it and at one point in a drunken tirade uh she called him a lame brat well so that parenting of the year yes so it's safe to say his relationship with his parents was not great uh so he went off to get an early education at the aberdeen grammar school in 1799 uh and went to the school of dr william glenny and at this point he was under supervision from a dr bailey who encouraged Byron to exercise, but like because of his foot, he had a lot of trouble with like certain physical activities and like games and like what like jousting and all that kind of shit that they would do, like polo or whatever, cricket. Yeah, like old timey stuff. I don't know. It was just like difficult for him. And so he, because he like one, didn't have a healthy example of how to deal with his feelings. Um, and two, because he was haunted for this. Oh. Oh, man. 
There's one of those classic dog interruptions. Classic. Oh, classic, guys. Classic. That is literally outside That's of my house. That's, That's not even inside. Good times. They are going crazy. Uh, um, so he would like try to do these activities and like he would get really frustrated and then he would have violent outbursts because he like would get so mad. That's it. That tracks. Yeah. Like I get it, but it's also like, check yourself. Um, and then his mom also would like meddle with his education and would like pull him out of school. And like, basically there was no emphasis on an education. So he was just like, fuck it. Like, I don't care. Like had just this like laissez-faire attitude. Okay, I'm gonna put a stop to this. Okay, PRB. Okay. door have like run through the fence so much that they broke one of like what the fuck do you call those things? Yeah. They broke it. So just stupid faces and and just go Oh my god. It's so dumb. So dumb. Yeah, so now yeah, now he's all tired from sticking his big dumb face in the fence like a fucking idiot. Ridiculous. Ridiculous goddamn animal. <laughs> and like he knows he's in trouble. He right. knows he's not supposed he to do that it anyway. And he just tra- like I go outside, like, hey, and he's just like, oh, what? Me? What? what did I do? Yeah, motherfucker. Yes. We do this every time. Obviously you. <sighs> oh man. Oh, I see that little goof sitting behind you. Yeah, that there little he is. right there. You're in there trouble, you little fucker. Yeah, I see you. Son of a bitch. <laughs> Literally. <laughs> you little son of a bitch. I love you. Love you so much, it makes me mad. I love you so much, I'm gonna punch you! But not really. No, never. Um, Anyways. Anyway. Crazy ass BB Lord Byron. Yes. Okay, so, um... He, in 1801, he then goes to Harrow, which I guess is a school, where he met Mary Chatworth, uh, who some say was his cousin, maybe. Um, but he he was so in love with her that he refused to return to school. And according to his mother, uh, she said, he has no indisposition that I know of but love Desperate love, the worst of all maladies, in my opinion. In short, the boy is distractedly in love with Miss Chatworth. And he eventually did return to Harrow in 1804 and formed some super close bromances. He wrote poems about their friendships. In childish recollections, he said, Consciousness of sexual differences that may, in the end, make England untenable to him. So this is like one of the earliest hints at him having a, 
a bisexual relationship. Interesting. Um, yes. So like, and at this time, like in England, it was not okay. To, they were not down with, uh, they weren't down with that. Um, but Lord Byron really didn't care. Uh, so he had a relationship with a younger boy named John Thomas Claridge. And then later he met his protege, John Edelston. And Byron wrote, he has been my almost constant associate since October 1805 when I entered Trinity College. His voice first attracted my attention. His countenance fixed it. And his manners attached me to him forever. He Ooh. later... I know. He later, he later described his relationship with John as a violent through pure love and passion. Get that D. Get it. I know. Steamy. Oh, scandalo. Um, so at this time, it was like not okay to be homosexual or bisexual or whatever. So if you were gay or even like suspected of it, you could be hanged in public, which is super fucked up. Um, so even though this was occurring, like this happened a lot where like gay men would be arrested or whatever and hanged. Um, and Byron was like, no, nah, I'm still going to like bang everybody I can. So he spent three years at Trinity college from 1805 to 1808 and he had so much sex and also got super into gambling. Uh, he, during this time, developed a raging case of gonorrhea and syphilis. <laughs> oh, man. Way to go. Yeah. Yep. Uh, he spent most of his time partying, boxing, gambling, and riding horses in addition to all the fucking. You know uh, what? I bet he was a goddamn good time, though. Yeah, I'm sure. He also was, like, really good-looking for the time. Like, really good-looking. What? Okay, now I gotta Google this. He was, like, a babe. And he would, like, sleep in little paper curlers to, like, make his hair look better. Oh, damn! Lord Barton was he hot, y'all! He was hot. Uh, Hugh Grant played him in a movie. Oh, I could see that. Yes. Um, he was He was hot, and he could get it. And he did. He got a lot of it it and got a lot of STDs. Got a lot Uh, of it from her body. mm -hmm. Uh, He didn't discriminate. That's what I love about him. He was just like free love. Um, So he joined the Cambridge Whig Club in 1807 and started to get involved in politics. And like, because he was a lord, he had like a seat in the House of Lords, which I still don't understand all of that shit. But he basically... He basically, like, didn't give a fuck. And he was like, I'm going to go over here and fuck everybody and, like, write my poems. Um, I so, love that. I just love, I love I him. I know. So in 1808, he published his first volume of poetry, Hours of Idleness. And the reviews were so bad that he did what any sassy bitch would do. He published another poem attacking the literary community called English Bards and Scotch Reviewers and just went off on all of these reviewers and basically was like, you guys don't understand art. Fuck all y'all. Like, it was like a diss track. It was Bitch amazing. did a diss track. Did a diss track in 1808. Oh, uh, yes, queen. Yes. Yes. So. Uh, in 1811, his mom died, and even though he had a really 
rough relationship with her, he went into like a major downward spiral. He was just like really upset. Uh, he, you know, got more into drinking and gambling and his affairs like just escalated. So he had a passionate affair with a woman named Lady Caroline Lamb. And she described him as, quote, mad, bad, and dangerous to know. Oh, he was a bad boy. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, he moved on to have a numerous, numerous other affairs, including one with his half-sister, Augusta. Oh, that's upsetting. Which was gross. And he probably fathered one of her children, oh. which was real gross. Uh, they had kind of like an on and off thing. Uh, but... Lady Lamb never got over him and she lost a ton of weight and she would like keep trying to get him back going as far as to dress up like a page boy and enter his home. And he told people because she was like so emaciated because she was so depressed. Uh, he told her people that he was being haunted by a skeleton. Oh, Oh, and then she. One of the times that she like broke into his estate, she wrote "Remember Me" on like something on his desk, and so then he wrote a poem called "Remember Thee, Remember Thee," like about how crazy she was, which is real. Like that's really not okay. That's so shady. Yeah, it was like kind of a dick move. Uh, uh, after like a lot of affairs. He was like, I feel like I need to get married just to get, like, society off my back. So he proposed to Anne Isabella Milbank. They married in January 1815. And they had a daughter, Ada Lovelace. Oh, my God. That's so cool. I know. And Ada Lovelace, uh, she became one of the most famous mathematicians of all time she was like the first female mathematician like a legit genius yes like she worked on these like engines that you know queen victoria and um prince albert were like using to like help i don't know make the make england more industrious and like use science and they whatever i don't know it was like the forefather to the computer yes and I guess because of this, they do consider it a computer of sorts. So she is actually listed as the first computer programmer in the world. And the programming language, ADA, is named after her. Yes, bitch. Yes. Oh. I know. Fuck yes. Yes. And she's his kid. That's wild. Um, Sadly, this marriage was very short-lived because of Byron's serious drinking problem and probably all of his STDs, and he was, like, in a lot of debt, and then there were a lot of rumors about him having an affair with his half-sister and about him being bisexual, and both of those things were true, and so his wife peaced out with Ada, and he never saw them again. Oh, damn. Yeah. Um, So... Even though he had some issues, uh, Lord Byron had a soft spot for animals. <gasps> what? Yes. Yes. He sure did. Oh, what uh, an icon. I know. So Lord Byron had a Newfoundland named Botswain. <laughs> and his poor little pup got rabies. Oh. And Byron... 
tried to nurse him back to health, even refusing to eat and like take breaks. But he just sat with his dog and like tried to nurse him back to health. Oh my God. I know. And Botswain sadly did not make it, but Byron commissioned a marble monument that was larger than his own. And he put it in his will that he be buried with his dog when he eventually passed. Yes. And then he pu- then he published a poem, Epitaph to a Dog, which became one of his most popular works of all time. And it ends with, to mark a friend's remains, these stones arise. I never knew but one. And here he lies. Holy shit. I know. Oh, oh that gave me uh, chilies. I didn't like that. Yeah. Oh. Like a chili. Little chili babies. Little chili babies. Little chilies. I don't like it. Mm, I'm feeling things. I know. And there's like a statue of him and his dog. Yes. Yes to Lord Byron. Just a resounding yes. Yes. Um, So before he got Botswain, so when he was at Trinity College, he had a pet bear uh, because... Wait. I'm sorry. Did you yeah. say bear? Pet bear. Uh-huh. Okay. Like, like a like bear. A, like a D-E-A-R. Yeah. Yep. Not like yep, a yep, gay, yep. like a large gay man. Bear. No, like an actual bear. Got it. Okay. Got it. Uh, because the school wouldn't allow him to have a dog. But he found a loophole and said the rules didn't explicitly say that he couldn't have a bear. So he kept a bear on campus. And will walk it around on a leash and scare the shit out of people. And he said, I have got a new friend, a tame bear. They asked me what I should do with him. And my reply was, he should sit for a fellowship. God damn it. I love this shady ass bitch. (laughs) Oh, I love it. This is so good. Yes, queen. It's bring your bear. Unbelievable. Just bring your bear. Bring your bear to school day. Yes. A million percent. I don't even know how you tame a bear. Like, how do you just... Why are all these people in England, like, having pet bears? I don't know. Why do they have the craziest fucking pets in old-time England? They were really dedicated to it. So dedicated. So in addition to the bear and then his beloved dog, he had a fox, monkeys, an eagle, a crow, a falcon, peacocks, guinea hens, an Egyptian crane, a badger, geese, a goat, a heron, and numerous horses. And all of these animals, except for the horses, lived inside his various homes. That is truly the list I want read out after I die. (laughs) <laughs> is that Carmen had these animals and they lived in her fucking house. That's, that is truly my goal of mine. That is incredible. He just had a literal zoo at home. And they lived inside? Oh. Inside. Except the horses, I assume, because they were too big. Yeah, I get that. They can't fit in doors. Right. Doorways are, yep. are they're not built for horses. Correct. They're too small. Ugh. But for the Egyptian crane and all that shit, yeah, go for yes. it. Yes. Yes. <laughs> oh, my God. A fucking fox? Do you even realize that that is a dream of mine? Is to have a fucking fox? 
box. I want to know, like, did they all get along? Because those are a lot of, like, dueling types yeah. of animals that, like, probably shouldn't be in the same that space. That fox killed some geese. There's just no way around that. I mean, and you know that goat was eating everything. Oh, that goat was fucking shit up left and right. Just gnawing on books <laughs> and painting. Just getting it. All them tapestries. <laughs> like, the eagle and the crow are like attacking each other <laughs> oh man that place was disgusting what a fun yeah it was time. probably pretty gross yeah what a fun time and it's not it's not like they had a stain remover back no. then or like veterinarians no they're just living Ew. their lives yeah uh so in addition to his collection of animals uh he also had a lot of weird interests including uh using skulls as decoration uh like human skulls this man is truly an icon so one of his homes newstead abbey uh he redecorated the dining room and turned it into a shooting gallery (laughs) where he just had a coffin at the end (laughs) what a wild ass idea I'm so here for it. Like, take the dining room table out, put a coffin over there, we shoot guns. This is not the room where we shoot shit. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. He used, he, so, Newstead Abbey, there was, like, a graveyard as part of the Abbey, and so he actually had people dig up and remove skulls from graves so that he could use them as flower pots and goblets. Okay. Okay. Lord Byron, here's here's where I depart from the way you're living your life. Like this is not okay. No. Do not do not defile mm. graves and steal body parts we, so you can have a weird goblet. We don't need to exhume people for decoration. Just make a ceramic yeah. one. Why are you gotta why you gotta get like bones are porous, right? Like that's Yeah, that seems not great. Gross. That's disgusting. Mm. Granted, you know, he was probably just dying from syphilis and whatever. That's the fuck very he had. true. His brain was mushy. And he's just like, oh, Yeah, right his here. brain was real mushy at this time. So he would hold all of these like spooky parties and he would make all of his friends wear these like dark hooded robes when they came over to the house. <laughs> what the fuck? So they're just like skulls every it's like you like you're like, oh I'm going to Lord Byron's. You like knock on the door, he hands you a robe, and there are just skulls all over the place. You're like, what the fuck? And just fucking peacocks walking by and you're just like, I don't know what's happening. Yeah. <laughs> like, I don't what? know where I am. He was, like, writing poems in a corner. <laughs> I love this motherfucker. He's so fucking weird. So weird! <laughs> so, um, okay, so at, in 1816, he eventually just pieces out of England for good. He's like, I'm done with you, England. I'm going to Geneva, Switzerland. And it's here that he meets his best friend, Percy Bysshe Shelley and his wife, Mary yes, Shelley, yes. and her stepsister, Claire Claremont, which sounds like a fake name, but it's not. Uh, so they were like this troop and they like were always kicking it. And he had an affair with Claire 
and gave birth to a daughter, Allegra, in 1817. Um, and this is where, like, we've got some literary interesting facts. So one summer, this was covered on an episode of uh, Drunk History, but uh, one summer he was with the Shelleys at Lake Geneva and Byron was like, okay, it's spooky time. We're going to tell ghost stories. So everyone like go write your best ghost story and then we'll sit and talk about it. And this is where Mary Shelley wrote Frankenstein. Yes. And his doctor, William Pilidori, wrote The Vampire, which went on to inspire Dracula. Oh, my God. Oh. And it's all because Lord Byron was a fucking crazy partier who was like, we're going to get drunk and tell a bunch of ghost stories. Look at that. Legend. I know. Legend. What a ledge. Inspiring uh, other fucking legends. Yeah. yeah. And so there's a bunch of shit that he did uh, between this time period and when he died. So he was like in Italy, he was traveling all over. He's like writing all of his epic poems. Um, but it's just too much to talk about. So I encourage everyone to go read as much as you can about Lord Byron. Um, but he ended up um, spending the remainder of his life in Greece. So in 1823, he accepted an invitation to come support Greek independence from the Ottoman empire and he was like, okay, I like this. Uh, I'm going to give my own money to the cause to like refit the naval ships. And then they gave him his own unit of soldiers. I don't think that's how that works. I feel like that's not how that um, works. <laughs> right. And so he was now in command of these like oh, good soldiers <laughs> to fight the Ottoman Empire. I, this is not how the mili- any military should work. No, um, because he didn't have military experience, really. So uh, he, so him and this, I guess the leader of this, his unit, uh, they were like preparing an attack on a Turkish held fortress. But right before the attack, Lord Byron gets sick. And so, of course, the solution by the doctors was bloodletting. Yeah, of course it was. Get that blood out of there. Which... Yeah, but it didn't work. So it's weird. So crazy. Just it made him. It made him more it's sick. So weird. I, he must be a witch. Yeah, he's a witch mm-hmm. for sure. Uh, so sadly, Lord Byron continued to get worse, and he ended up catching a cold in April of 1824. And the doctors then continued to mm-hmm. bloodlet him, uh, and then he caught a violent fever, and. Uh, it's suspected that he died of sepsis because of all the bloodletting and like not sterilizing the materials. Um, and like bloodletting doesn't work. So, uh, he died on April 19th, 1824 before he could finish probably the most famous of his work, Don Juan. Um, he was so fucking crazy, but he gave us, these fantastic tales, but also some incredible literary works like Child Harold's Pilgrimage, She Walks in Beauty, The Prophecy of Dante, and Don Juan, which is, well, a lot of people don't know that it's satire. Of course not. We're not able to understand right. that. <laughs> right. Um, but Don Juan was a real person, and 
Lord Byron spent four years working on and eventually not finishing this work where it's just a satirical account of Don Juan being seduced by all of these women instead of vice versa. So yeah, that is the fucking insane life of Lord Byron. Of the list of greatest of all time. That bitch is up there. He's one of my favorite characters of all. What an absolute legend. I encourage everybody to just do your own Googling because like, I mean, we could do like several episodes about him. He, there's just so much, like he was full of shenanigans. These were just like the top hits. What a goddamn fun time. I know. I wish I could be a fun time to be alive and like a rich dude who could just do whatever the fuck you want to do. He just did whatever he wanted. He was like, oh, I'm going to go over here. I'm going to go over there. I'm going to write a poem about this. Ooh, where's my skull it's goblet? Just, I'm going to, I need a, I need a fox purchaser. Like, where can I purchase a yeah. goddamn llama? Yeah. Oh, I love yes. him. He's amazing. I love him. What a, he, what, he, he did do some bad things, but I, I don't care. Yeah, no, I'm all right with it. Because I love him so much. I love just the commitment to no fucks given. Yes. And I love how oh, much he Oh, yeah. Anybody dog. who loves their dog enough to commission a goddamn statue. Oh, you're on my list of top mm-hmm. top people in the world. Oh, yeah, it's I'm so on board. What a great goddamn story. Mm. Lord Byron, you're our jam. Mm. One of the best. I think... Oh, someone make us like a little jar of jam with a label of Lord <gasps> Yes. Alex. Alex. Shirt, please. We need a new shirt. Lord Byron on jam. Lord Byron jam. Thank you. Okay. So I have quite a tale for oh you. So on top of Caitlin and I really committing ourselves to uh, Victoria. It's amazing. Get on it. So good. So Um, good. I also recently watched Fosse Verdon. Also incredible. Michelle Williams earned the fuck out of that Golden Globe. Uh, She acts. She sings. She dances. She's amazing. I didn't even know she could do that shit. Um, So I I, uh, went down a several day rabbit hole of listening to the Cabaret soundtrack. Yes. Uh, And I got to wondering... This is based on a real period of German history. Are any of these people real? And oh my guess God. the fuck what? They are. They are. So, oh I am going to tell God. you about the real life inspiration for Sally Bowles, and her name is Jean Ross. <gasps> oh my God. Okie dokie. So, boom, boom, get my notes up. So Jean Ross, middle name Iris, killer name, amazing. Was name. born in 1911 in British-occupied Alexandria in Egypt. So her dad was a very successful cotton merchant, very very rich, and so she was kind of like born into luxury. Um, mm-hmm. And he was also, interestingly, for the time, like super super liberal. Um, so she really had like a childhood that was like very liberal, very open to like 
art and music and, and ideas. Um, and then she was shipped off to an English boarding school in like her early, uh, like preteen years. Um, but she finished the school curriculum at the age of 16 because she was smart as a motherfucker. And since so after that, wow. she was soups bored because she was like, I done finished all the things. Like, why I got to be here? But they were like, you got to be here until yeah. you're 18. Uh, why? So she was so bored that she decided the way that she could get out of school and out of being there until she was 18 was to tell everyone that she was pregnant. Um. Oh my God! What a genius! Because they just would ship you right off to go to like a nunnery and get it taken care oh, of. Oh yeah. So she tells everyone that she's pregnant, and they expel her from school. Uh. So she's like, "Yes, I did it. I don't have to go to school no more." <laughs> and then the schoolmasters realized it wasn't real, so they sent her to a sanatorium because oh my that's God. what you do. Uh, until her family, who was, like I said, in fucking Egypt, could come and get her. Oh, my God. Uh, so her family comes to get her at the sanatorium in England, and they're so pissed off about her pretending that she's pregnant that they sent her to a finishing school in Switzerland so she could become, like, a proper lady. Uh, but she was like... No, I'm not into this. Deuces and bounces very shortly after being sent there. She <laughs> returns to England uh, and using a small allowance that she had from her grandfather ends up enrolling in the Royal Academy of Dramatic Arts in London. And she does really, really well there. Um, she like works really, really hard, studies really hard, like, becomes like a really good actress and after her first year they uh awarded an acting prize to like the top student i guess and that entitled them to choose the role that they wanted for the next production so she wins that because she's the shit um and so she chooses the role of phaedra in the next production, but all of the teachers and professors at the school tell her that she's too young to take on such a tragic role and she doesn't have any life experience. And so she's like, oh, for realsies though? Bye! And bounces. (laughs) I love that she just keeps being like, fuck you, I'm out. Bye, I got shit to do. So she leaves, uh, the Royal Academy of Dramatic Arts after a year and she's like, oh my gosh, it's like the 1920s. Film is hot as shit. I'm gonna go be a film actress. Great. So, oh sorry, not the 20s. It's now 1930. So at 1930, she is 19 years old. She gets her first film part. She plays a uh, member of a harem in a low-budget movie called When Sailors Leave Home. And it was one of the earliest um, film made with sound in London. Whoa. Um, So, a little bit of background, because from here, Jean and her friend end up deciding to go to Germany because there weren't a whole lot of film parts in London. So they're like, oh, we heard that it's like, hopping off in Germany, so let's go to Germany. 
So a little bit of background about Germany in the 30s. Germany in the 30s was liberal as the fuck. It was called the Golden Twenties, and Germany at the time was uh, known as the Weimar Republic because it was um, named after the town Weimar, where Germany's new government was formed during that time after 1919, when Kaiser Wilhelm Mm -hmm. II uh, abdicated Ah. the throne. Um, so there's okay. like democracy and, and fucking arts popping off and theater productions and like all of these young idealistic people are moving in and Berlin was the epicenter of like counterculture and like bohemian wow. lifestyle in before everything went yes. to shit. So like this area um in berlin during this time like spawned the bauhaus art movement and marlena dietrich uh like so jazz is popping off there's cabarets everywhere there's young people moving in and so that's why jean ross and her friend decided to head there to find acting jobs but unable to get like a decent acting job after about a year she starts um modeling for magazines by day and becomes a cabaret singer by night. Uh, So at this point, it's 1931 and a very young British writer named Christopher Isherwood moves to Berlin as well um, to uh, be close to the Berlin gay nightlife because Berlin also at the time was like very open about homosexuality. I I know they were just like they were so ahead of their time um so uh and described in a 2001 book uh quote Berlin's gay scene of those days was prodigious they were there were around 40 gay bars and near this square alone and gay life in the city was open fashionable and well organized with its own newspapers community associations and art so That's 1930s Berlin was killing it. And so, like, you could be openly gay there and have, like, your boyfriend or your girlfriend or whatever. And, like, nobody thought anything about it. Nobody cared. And it was like, yeah, yes. Everybody was like, do your dizzle. It's a bohemian lifestyle in the 1930s. We don't give a fuck. We've got cool wide-leg pants. Huh? We don't give a shit. Yeah. So he's amazing. So uh, Christopher Isherwood ends up becoming friends with Gene Ross. Like he goes to the club where she works and they become really good friends. Um, and they even share uh, a really shitty flat in this uh, district oh. uh, that's really uh, closely associated with like Berlin's like radicals and subversives and gay nightlife. Um, so uh, and Gene was regarded as being very um sexually open she did not have any inhibitions about her lifestyle she would entertain people in their flat while she was bathing uh she would openly discuss people that she was banging girl did not um so christopher isherwood wrote about her in his 1939 novel goodbye to berlin And this is the narrator of the book first meeting the character of Sally Bowles. Quote, I noticed that her fingernails were painted emerald green, a color unfortunately chosen for it called attention to her hands, which were much stained by cigarette smoking and as dirty as a little girl's. She was dark. Her face was long and thin, powdered dead white. She had very large brown eyes, which 
should have been darker to match her hair and the pencil she used for her eyebrows. She had a surprisingly deep, husky voice. She sang badly, without any expression, her hands hanging down at her sides. Yet her performance was, in its own way, effective because of her startling appearance and her air of not caring a curse of what people thought of her. Not caring a curse. I love that. It's the best. Um, So, um, like I said, Jean would just, like, bang dudes, did not give a fuck, doing her own thing. But she has a pretty lengthy relationship with this jazz pianist, and she ends up pregnant by him. And Mm. uh, so Isherwood, as a favor to his very close friend, falsely claims that he's the baby daddy so that she can get an abortion and she almost dies. Uh, Good. But she survives, but she like came very close to dying. Yeah. And the abortions back then were nasty. Um, so it's now like 1932 and the very, very liberal Weimar Republic days that Gina and her friends had really enjoyed was now kind of in a downside. There was like a massive depression across all of Berlin um, and all across all of Germany. It was described as uh, daily scenes being of, quote, poverty, unemployment, political demonstrations, and street fighting between the forces of the extreme left and the extreme right. Um, mm. so this is about the time where <laughs> Nazis start coming in and fucking shit up for everybody. Oh, uh, why would they not? So huh. like the really, really extreme conservative right comes up as like a big reaction to how liberal things have gotten in Germany. Just sounds mm-hmm. familiar. Sounds really familiar oh, to right yeah. now. It's really scary. So, so like there's photos of the time of like these you know regular people just walking down the street minding their own fucking business and then like nazi dude they called them brown shirts like farming lines down the street and like stopping shit and like raiding clubs and all kinds of stuff it just becomes a real hot mess so Mm. um gene bounces to england uh for a vacation around this time it's about 1933 And while she's gone, the Nazis end up taking political power. And so she's like, I see the writing on the wall. These motherfuckers is crazy. I'm not going back to Berlin. So she stays in England. Good for her. her. Way to pick up what they're putting down and go, this is just going to get real bad. But Mm -hmm. she's so enraged by like what has happened to this place that she lived and seeing these like ultra conservative shitty people take power that she ends up joining the local communist party where she is in Chelsea and she remains a member of the communist party her entire life and like very committed to the communist cause and, uh, while she's back in London, she continues her career as an actress. Uh, she appears in a couple of theatrical productions and does a little bit more like magazine modeling. She ends up modeling for this French designer, Jean Pateau. And check this out, Ooh. Tadler Magazine. Oh. I know, I love it. <laughs> Oh my god. And so about this time also, so like the acting's not taking off and the modeling's aren't really doing anything. So she ends up going to um the British film industry 
And because of her time in Germany and being fluent in German, they hire her as a translator uh, because mm. all of the artists and directors and actresses are like fleeing Germany in right. droves and they're all coming to England. So there's all these like German led productions going on and they need people who speak German. So she, so she takes up a job there and is like loving it. And then her homie, Christopher Isherwood had also left Berlin at this time. And he also speaks German. So she's like, Hey homie, come over here and work with me and be a translator for the film industry. Yeah. So he does, and he ends up parlaying that into a career as a screenwriter. So he goes Ooh. off, and he's reading things. Um, and so sweet, sweet Jean, at the same time, starts writing for these very left-wing um, British magazines and newspapers. One of them is called The Daily Express. The other one is called The Daily Worker. And she even ends up covering uh, the Spanish Civil War from Madrid um, wow. for the Spanish news agency, where she ends up meeting her longtime partner and lover, British journalist Claude Cockburn. Oh, Claude. I know, good old Claude. Um, so while Claude's at the front lines reporting, because God forbid you sit a woman a woman to the front lines, right. even though she's a reporter and that's what she's there to do. Hysterical. Yeah, I know. We, you know, we have periods. We can't be trusted. Uh, so she ends up writing, ghostwriting his columns for him under his name while still writing her own columns and sending those yes, in because she is a fucking queen who can handle her goddamn business. I love her. Also, in Madrid, at the time of the Spanish Civil War, guess who else is there? And they're, like, kicking it and hanging out and being journalists together. Uh, a motherfucking Ernest Hemingway. What? Yes. So he's there as a journalist for another publication. And all the foreign correspondents would get together because there's only one restaurant open at the time because, like, shit's being bombed all over the fucking place. So they end up having lunch every day together in this place called the basement of this place called the Gran Via, oh. which was the only <laughs> restaurant open in all of Madrid while all this bombing is going on. So all the journalists are like <laughs> kicking it together. And one of them is Ernest Hemingway. They're like, we are sick of this menu, but. Yeah, like we just got to eat what the fiber the fuck they put in front of us because there ain't shit else. Wow. So she continues to report on the Spanish Civil War through 1938. Um, she's also still with Claude at this time, and she ends up pregnant with Claude. And uh, so she returns to England towards the end of her pregnancy and ends up having their daughter, Sarah, back in England on May 27th, 1939. And three months later, good old Claude, being a real stand-up guy, walks out on Jean and their newborn child to live with another journalist, Patricia Arp. I'm sorry. I'm going to butcher this. Arbuthnot. Sure. Whatever. whatever. Uh, So he walks out to go live with her because he had been having an affair with her. Good times. What a a dick. So he also went further with his dickery. And omitted all mentions of Jean from his memoirs. Oh my god. Even though they straight up had a baby together. Oh, uh, that's so sad. Real piece of shit. Um, 
So yeah, it's like early forties now. And uh, Jean and her daughter, Sarah, and then her widowed mother, Clara Codwell, they move in with a friend and Jean devotes herself to two things, advancing the idea of socialism and raising her baby girl. So that would become like the rest of her life. So they eventually moved to Scotland so that Sarah could uh, get like a killer education. Um, But they moved back to England in 1960 so Sarah could attend Oxford. They end up living with Jean's sister, Peggy, who had severe arthritis and couldn't take care of herself. Mm -hmm. And then by this time, her mother is really like getting up there and not doing so well. So now Jean becomes caretaker to both her sister and her mother while her daughter is like doing it at fucking Oxford. So she continues to go to like political rallies and be super involved in politics, she goes to protest nuclear weapons and the war in Vietnam. Yes. And she, throughout the rest of her life, makes daily rounds to her neighborhood uh, to give out, uh, to sell copies of The Daily Worker. I oh. know. She's amazing. <laughs> so in 1970, uh, Jean and Christopher Isherwood uh, meet again. They go have lunch. And he recalls this meeting later in his diary and says, quote, I had lunch with Jean Ross and her daughter, Sarah, and three of their friends at a little restaurant in Chancery Lane. Jean looks old, but still rather beautiful. And she's very lively and active ment- and mentally on the spot and as political as ever. Seeing Jean made me happy. I think if I lived here, I'd see a lot of her. That is if I could do so without being involved in her communism. <laughs> because Isher would move to the States. So he was living stateside at this point. So they really didn't right. see each other very often. Aww. And that would turn out to be the last time that they saw each other. So he returned to the States. And three years later, on April 27th, 1973, Jean dies of cervical cancer in her home at the age mm-hmm. of 61. Ha- However, the legacy of this absolute fucking badass make my own way in the world bitch would live on through Sally Bowles, the fictional and character inspired by her. Uh, so it, so Isherwood's novel goodbye to Berlin comes out in 1939. Like she totally signed off on everything. Like gave him rights to put everything that she did in there. Even like the abortion stuff, which was super fucking controversial at the time. Yeah, that was a big deal. Um, and so then that becomes a play in 1951 called I Am Camera. And then that goes on to become a 1966 Broadway production of Cabaret, which then goes on to become the Cabaret movie that we all fucking know and is goddamn iconic yes. for Liza Minnelli's performance. Iconic. In Bob Fosse's 1972 film. And. Uh, but according to her daughter, Jean disliked the character of Sally Bowles because it offended her feminist convictions. Saying that Isherwood's fictionalized depiction of her employed a literary convention which necessitated that a woman must either be virtuous in the sexual sense or a tart, 
So Sally, who is plainly not virtuous, must be a tart to depend on for to depend for a living on providing sexual pleasure. Such a submissive gender role would have, quote, seemed to Jean the ultimate denial of freedom and emancipation. Yes, queen. Snaps. Yes, queen. Wow. Jean Iris Ross, inspiration for the character Sally Bowles, real life badass fucking queen. That's incredible. I did not know that Sally Bowles was based on a real person. I did not either until doing all this research and it's fucking fascinating. Wow. I love oh Cabaret. Oh my god, Cabaret is amazing. And I love this Shit's Creek episode. And I'm really trying hard not so to watch good. this season. Even though it's on right now. We can't watch it. We can it. steal it from the internet. We can. But I'd really rather watch it I just... Yeah, I want to watch it all. And then just cry my goddamn face off. Mm. Wow, that was so Thank good. Thank you. I loved your story about Lord Byron because that motherfucker is crazy. Yours was like positive in the world mm. crazy. I just love badass ladies in old times making their own way and being like, I'm not going to be a part of this patriarchy. Deuces, I'm out of here. Yeah. Uh, I, man, it gives me a little inspiration of like, we're going to continue to fight. I hope so. And do shit. I hope so. And make our way. it's like almost a hundred years later. And while we've made some great gains. We've made some, some progress. There's still a lot of motherfucking problems. There's so many problems. So goddamn many. It's really exhausting. It's very exhausting to be a woman in the world uh, to our male fucker listeners. Um, It's real hard. Yeah. It's really hard. Just Google the phrase emotional labor and give yourselves an education. Um, Yes. Uh, Or just ask a woman what it's like for her to walk out in public somewhere. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That's- to just constantly be mm-hmm. surrounded by threats all over the time. It's so fun. Constant. It's so fun to have just anxiety constantly. Oh, to just never really feel safe. Yeah. It's great. Yeah. Just worrying about being kidnapped or raped or murdered. It's yeah, totally it's great, cool. Great, great. Good times. Good times. Yeah. This is really funny that this has come up on the podcast now because Kyle and I had this exact conversation yesterday in the car. Um, hey. I was like, I know my husband is like five, eight and like a teeny tiny little man. He's very skinny and I love a skinny boy. Um, and I had to explain to him that while he was bullied in like high school for being small and treated terribly and called mm-hmm. terrible names, that to a woman, he is a threat. Mm-hmm. Correct. That, like if you are walking 10 feet behind a solo woman in a parking garage at night, bitch, you are a threat. Like, I don't know how else to explain yeah. this. Like, it, doesn't, it doesn't matter what your no. size is. You are a threat to us. And that just blew his little mind. He was like, I'm sorry, what? And I was like, yes. Like, if I did not know you and we were walking down the street at nighttime, you are a threat to me. 
you, mm-hmm. you can, I'd be like, is, is this guy following me? Yeah. Is he following me? What kind of weapons yeah. does he have? Where's What's his steel? Scary, what kind of serial yeah, killer is scary he? panel van that he's going to throw me into and I'm never going to see daylight again. Yep. Fellas. Mm-hmm. Fellas. I don't want to make you feel bad. Being That's not there. my intention. This is something. No. no, no, no. No. It's just you guys just you don't just realize don't it. Know. And it's a threat. And I don't recommend you screaming out to ladies, I'm not a threat. No, that, that's, that's scary. Um, well, I had this conversation with my boss because he's a very tall, uh, just a large human. And he, we have a very big parking garage. And it's well lit. It's fine. But he, he always says, he's like, I try to just come off as friendly as possible because I don't want anyone to think I'm a threat to them. And he's like, I just know as a large human, I, I come across as scary. I'm like, I'm proud of you for being yeah, so woke. Job. Like, I don't know that there's a good way to like um, make yourself not a threat. There's, there's not. It's just yeah. mind your business. Like, that's really yeah, just like, what don't it comes talk down to. Me. to. We don't need to be friends. Yep. Just like, leave me alone. Yep. Don't, don't walk too closely behind anyone. Personal space level. That's one of my biggest pet peeves is like even in the grocery store, like or when you're in a cashier checkout and someone's right up on like bitch, no. take a step Do back. Do not get in my personal space bubble. Don't. Two, two, two feet. <laughs> two at feet least. men. Leave room for Jesus. Get out of the fucking yes. way. I don't have time to be that close to you. I don't like you that much. Especially, especially like for you, I'm such a tiny person. I do not need people in my personal space. You become a threat. You might get stabbed. Yes. Pepper spray first. Apologize later, as my friend from my favorite murder said. Don't have time to sort out whether you're going to hurt me or not. I just assume it. It's not my job to discern if you're attacking me. I don't have the wherewithal to think that quickly. I don't have the right questions or the right vocabulary. I just assume you're going to hurt me. And I don't have time to fucking discern whether that's true or not. No, it is not my problem. I don't know how we got here from what we just talked about, but it's a great time, though. It needs to happen. It's great. It's great. Um... Have you had any weird, interesting encounters? I have not had sorts? any interesting, weird encounters. But I will tell you what I did have. Okay. Oh, girl. I met at my workplace, which is not a dog-friendly workplace. So I was not anticipating okay. this happening. And I ex- almost exploded into confetti. Okay. So we've been having some, like, construction work at my office because they're growing and we need more office space and we don't have a Sure. So the foreman, I don't know. Whatever so he, they're all. He comes they are. through it's... from the back of our office, and I'm just like, hey bro, what's up? And then I see him holding a leash, and my my little sweet eyeball no. traveled down the leash to no. a small chihuahua mixed dog, a fucking coat. Oh my god! A small BB Chihuahua mix in a goddamn like down jacket. 
no, it must have been it was so, so cold. And he was such an angel. How how little under he? ten pounds? Like a little uh, I lost my fucking mind. Also, his name was Pierto because he was Espanol. He was a goddamn angel, and my office is not dog friendly. So the last thing I was expecting was a dog, and then there was a dog in a coat, in a jacket. It makes me think of that IKEA monkey. Yes, yes, it was kind of like that jacket, but it was red. (laughs) Lost my absolute shit. Oh, I love. Oh god damn it. Oh my god. Oh. I'm so happy you saw that. the highlight of my week. Small dog in a gun jacket. Uh, mm. It will never get old. Um, I didn't see I'm any so dogs in jackets. But I did see... Okay, this yes. is part one of two unrelated but i did see i was driving to work and i saw a blind woman she had her sight cane walking a dog with no eyes shut the fuck up i I don't accept this reality i tried to stop and like i wanted to talk to her but i also didn't want to interrupt her i was in such amazement, like I was just stunned. She was the dog. Ha- his the dog had no eyes. She was the she- seeing eye person. Seeing eye person, but she couldn't see, and she had her sight cane, and she was walking her dog with no eyes. I just had it, a lot of feelings. Um, it was it was incredible. Oh, it was incredible. Oh my god, that's so beautiful. It was so great. I want to, like, because I do work for, like, I do a lot of work um, part of my job, which I can't disclose my exact client, but one of our clients uh, provides seeing eye dogs (gasps) and guide dogs. And so I'm, like, attuned to that kind of stuff. And I'm like, that would have been an amazing story. I want to know everything about you. I lit. I know. I hope I see them again because, I mean, they were walking in the area, so I hope I encounter them again. I mean, it was. I know. I know. I I don't have words. I am straight up speechless. That is so beautiful. I know. It was really, really sweet. Um, And then the other thing that happened to me this week, which I didn't tell you about because I wanted to talk to you in person about it. Yes. So I went to go uh, to a talk on Wednesday um, to see Tanara Burke, who founded the Me Too movement. Yes, queen! I went, I went to see her talk, um, and she is so fucking unbelievable. Like, I one, I want to be her best friend. Uh, she's so amazing, and the work that she is doing like I just she's been doing this work like since before it obviously became a hashtag like she's been doing this work since she was very young 
That's very young. And she started in Alabama. She was doing this work for these young girls, talking to them about sexual violence, talking them through what happened to them or not talking to them about it. Like that's, and what, what me too as an organization is doing because everyone just thinks, Oh, it's a hashtag, whatever. It's not doing anything. No, it's an organization now that she's been doing this work her whole life. Now it's an organization. There are people, there's a staff there. They're creating a suite of programs to disrupt sexual violence in schools, in society, in corporations, there, it's not just, that's the thing that really got me was that they're not just trying to take care of survivors after the fact, they're trying to stop it from even happening in the first place, right. which I think is amazing. Yeah, it's a necessity. So that was super inspiring. That's amazing. It was really inspiring. And I, and I wanted to take so many pictures, but I was allowed to, but she was up. Oh, love it. So I feel like I'm like, yeah, I want to go smash the patriarchy even more. Yes. I'm here for that. So she's fucked, yeah? Yes. Um, I know. Mm. Um, I yeah, down now. That's about it. No, no, no. No. It was a good thing. It was good. It was positive. That's awesome. My dog in a jacket really pales in comparison to yours. No, I think it's it's up there. It's really not as um, socially imp- impactful. <laughs> it was socially impactful uh, to one person. And to me. Uh, well, follow us on the social media. Yeah, giveaway. TBD. No, we're doing giveaway. TBD, guys. Yeah, you'll find out when you find out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's it. Those are, that's the rule. We might make one shirt. And you could be the recipient of that one shirt. Yeah, maybe it'll be hand-drawn. I don't know. Could be. We don't know. We're going to have fake producer Alex send it to you. Yeah, that's true. Um, yep, so follow us. Follow, go to Patreon and give us monies. Uh, continue to share and support the show. Tell your friends. And yeah, that's about Until it. Until next time. So be, be your own, own fucking, fucking guy. guy. Bye! Bye.